Good morning. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2 is our text today. We're going to be looking at the first 23 verses of Daniel chapter 2 today. So if you'll make your way there, I want to open with prayer again as we seek the Lord's help in his word today. Let's pray together. Lord God, we ask now that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth. Father, may your word inspired by the Holy Spirit not only give us understanding, but Lord, may you change us to be more like Christ. We ask this in his name, amen. There is a truth about every single person in this room that we all share. You and I will either prove ourselves to be faithful Babylonians or you and I will prove ourselves to be decided Christians. There's no other option. You will either demonstrate throughout your life and in the end prove to be that you were a devout, faithful Babylonian worldling that lived life for this world and this world alone, or you will prove in the end that you were a devout follower of Jesus. There's no one in between. There's a great contrast that we find in Daniel chapter two that I want us to hear and read. And so let's stand as we honor the reading of God's word as we read verses one down through verse 23. This is the word of the Lord, Daniel chapter two, beginning in verse one. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word is The word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore show me the dream and its interpretation. I answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You've agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. 
thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to the house, or to his house, and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from God, from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision that night, or in the vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows that what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have known and now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. You may be seated. As I said earlier, Daniel chapter two presents us with a great contrast of people. No matter what culture or ethnicity or language or socioeconomic background you might have, there are two kinds of people in the world. And Daniel chapter two really exposes for us, gives us a great picture, if you will, of how these two kinds of people deal with, in this case, a significant trial, ultimately proving their own allegiance. It's a great contrast here. There's a contrast between a Babylonian and an Israelite, between Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, between one who is a king and one who is a prisoner, between one who has an entire nation at his disposal and the other who can quickly be disposed, one whose life is filled with anxiety and fear and one whose life is steadily trusting the promises and providence of God. It's a great contrast. And so as we look at this first half of Daniel chapter two, we're going to examine this contrast and pray that the Lord will expose in our own hearts, in our own life, the presence or absence of true faith in our own hearts. Like that should be our prayer today as we come to Daniel chapter two, knowing now that there's a great contrast here really between the godly and the ungodly that Lord, as I hear this from Daniel chapter two, would you expose any, any allegiance in my heart to Babylon? Would you, would you help me see the, 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 the ungodliness of my heart? Would you help me to see even if I'm here today and, and I'm not a Christian? And if I am, would you help me to see if there's any remnant of the world left in my own heart. And so as we look at this contrast, we're going to look at two main points today. A, a life that's absence of God, we could describe that as the restless heart and a life that's dependent upon God, the confident heart. So two points, 
Don't check out on me now that you have the points. Keep track, okay? Let's look first of all at the restless heart. As we turn to Daniel chapter two, we're given another good historical marker, aren't we? Daniel's really helpful with history. He really helps us pinpoint exactly when things are happening. This is the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is having nightmares. He's an emotional wreck of a king. He's had a disturbing dream or maybe even a series of dreams that, that's keeping him up at night. He, he's, he's about at his wit's end. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him, the text says. So he does what any good king would do. He summons all of his personal shrinks to come help him make sense of the dream, right? I mean, he's paying people to help him come up with things like this. And so he calls them together. And it kind of reminds us, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, if you're, if you're not, you can actually go to Genesis chapter 41 and find this story. But it reminds us of a similar situation that a man by the name of Joseph found himself in in Egypt. Joseph was a prisoner in Egypt at the time and or the Pharaoh of Egypt was also having dreams. And long story short, Joseph was called upon to come and give Pharaoh the interpretation of the dream. And he does, and, and we, you keep reading the rest of the story, Joseph kind of becomes a hero, and, and he's made second in charge of Egypt. Quite a fascinating story that God used this man in that way. But here there is one major difference between Joseph's experience and Daniel's experience, or Pharaoh's request and Nebuchadnezzar's request. Pharaoh was telling the dream. He's like, here's what I dreamed. I need help understanding it. Nebuchadnezzar says, no, 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 no. That's not how it's gonna work here. I've had this dream or these dreams. I want you to tell me the dream and its interpretation. <laughs> you gotta be kidding me, right? He wants both the contents of the dream and the interpretation of the dream. Talk about pressure. Not only that, when you hear What's going to happen in verse five if you're not able to give the contents of the dream and its interpretation? You shall be torn limb for limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. So they do what any logical person would do, these magicians, enchanters, and Chaldeans. They stalled by pretending they didn't hear the original request and so they ask him again in verse seven, well, King, tell us the dream and we'll tell you its interpretation. That didn't quite work, did it? In fact, if we read on in the text, we're told that the king became angry and very furious, verse 12. King Nebuchadnezzar and really the two by implication, the rest of the Babylonian culture. But here, King Nebuchadnezzar is the perfect picture of someone whose trust is not in the Lord. I mean, he's no dummy. He knows that this dream means something and it didn't seem like it was favorable to him. And so, as a desperate man, he's seeking to get answers by taking the matter into his own hands and, and calling forth magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, those who could tell him what's going on in this dream. He, he's, he's not seeking the Lord. 
And as he does this, as he, as he seeks to respond to this, these series of nightmares and this, this troubling dream, he shows us several common traits about the ungodly. Several common traits that we find of those whose life is absent of God. One is the lack of true wisdom. The lack of true wisdom. It becomes clear that not even the greatest minds under Nebuchadnezzar's reign could produce what he was demanding. Neither Nebuchadnezzar nor his shrinks or his personal psychologist or whoever these folks were, these magicians and enchanters, no one could come up with what was going on in these dreams. The dream and its contents aside, what we do see though is it's quite obvious that this text is one one of the main purposes of this passage in this chapter is to contrast the lack of the king's wisdom to that of Daniel's wisdom. The ungodly who lacks true wisdom and the godly who has true wisdom. Let this be a reminder to us that the world's resources will always run short. The world's resources, the world's wisdom, the world's knowledge will always fall short in providing you what you truly need. It's a bit ironic, isn't it, that this king, with all of his power, with all of his wealth, with all of his fame, with all of his influence, is paralyzed by a dream. This is a man with magnificent power and wealth and influence in the known world at the time. He had much at his disposal, and this man is shaking. He is paralyzed by a dream. And nothing that he sought, at least at this point, would bring him relief. You see, not only Nebuchadnezzar, but his magicians and enchanters lacked the wisdom that they needed because they were seeking it in the wrong places. In fact, they said, We know where you can get the answer. It's the gods. But they don't really interact with man. Friends, I think this serves us as a good reminder and warning even to us as Christians in the church today because I I see so many Christians often running to the professionals and the intellectuals of the world for wisdom and guidance and counsel instead of running to the source of true wisdom. I mean, I am often shocked of how often Christians, Christians, not Nebuchadnezzar, right? Not the Babylonians, but believers that are just frantically trying to find help in the world's resources and wonder why their anxiety is busting out of the roof. Friends, the world cannot solve all your problems because it cannot solve your deepest problem. Nebuchadnezzar and his magicians, enchanters, They lacked 
wisdom, true wisdom. We know that from Proverbs chapter two, verse six, the writer of Proverbs says there, for the Lord gives wisdom. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of his saints. But not only does Nebuchadnezzar lack true wisdom, he lacks a sense of security. Again, Nebuchadnezzar had everything a person could really want. Success, power, influence, dominance. And yet he was a man filled with much anxiety. Again, the the problem with this king and others like him is that his heart was trusting in things that could never fully satisfy or protect him. You know, it's often true that the more we obtain in life, the more anxious we grow, especially when our hope is in those things. The more we have, the more we think we need to find happiness and security, but in the end, none of these things can produce true security and true fulfillment and satisfaction. You know, Nebuchadnezzar might've had a lot of power, but he had absolutely no peace whatsoever. In fact, he was quite helpless. He lacked security. And it's a reminder to us that, that Babylon in all of its pomp and beauty might look great and it might feel real good but when you begin to look beyond all of, the, all of the, the glitz and the glamour, what you're going to find is that it cannot satisfy and give you the peace and security you truly need. Do you understand that? Some of you are in here today, most likely, and you are filled with anxiety and you are an emotional wreck internally because your hope is in the wrong place. I'm not saying if you just hope in Jesus, all will be well. That's a lie of the prosperity gospel. What I am saying is that if your hope is in Christ, even though all hell is breaking loose around you, he is your hope and your stay. He is your rock. He is your fortress. He is your shield. He is your confidence. He is your hope. Culture that we live in wants you to believe the lie that it has your good in mind and that it's got the market on what is right and true. But it's deadly wrong. The only place where we will find true peace and security is in the Lord. We'll come back to that in a moment, but You see, this is just a mark of of the ungodly, the mark of those who are truly more committed to the ways of the world. They lack wisdom. They lack true peace and security. And then number three, the use of hostility. We learn a lot about Nebuchadnezzar here, not just in the things that he does, but in the things that he reacts to and how he reacts. As a man who lacks peace in himself, he responds with hostility 
towards others. It's one of the mark of someone who's anxious and trusting in the things of the world is they will often be angry. They will often be harsh and hostile to, uh, to others. And you see that on, on steroids here. I mean, again, he was, he was not ignorant. He was no dummy. He, while he could, couldn't quite put all of the dots together about this dream, he knew the essence of it. It was not going to end well for him. He, he was getting that much, but he was just wanting someone else to help come and confirm this or maybe tell him something of a better result. You see, the very thing that he had hoped in, the very thing that he had sought to gain peace from would one day be no more. So Nebuchadnezzar, right here, early on, second year of his reign, he's figuring out a very important lesson. And that lesson is this, he is not God. He's not God. And that leaves him restless and anxious. That's often how people, he, he gets angry and he gets hostile towards his, his, his magicians. I mean, his, his go-to people. I mean, he's about to have them ripped apart. That's how people often respond when they figure out that they aren't in true control. When someone is not resting in the peace of God and the wisdom of God, the result is an insecurity and an anxiety that often gives way to anger and hostility. Nebuchadnezzar is a great reminder that when we seek to find our hope in the things of this world, listen, it cannot deliver. There's a lot of common grace in the world that God has given, absolutely. I'm not saying that everything in the world is evil and wrong, but listen, if your hope is in that, it cannot give you what you truly need, what you truly want. True and lasting peace is only found in the Lord. A couple of passages here. In Romans chapter 14, verse 17. Romans chapter 14. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And then if you were to turn to the book of Colossians, there in Colossians, I think we looked at Colossians last week, but in Colossians chapter one, verse 20, and then we'll see it again in chapter three, but in Colossians one, verse 20, it's talking about Christ, for in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. And then later on in Colossians three, verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body. Friend, are you restless today? Are you, are you anxious? Is your life filled with paralyzing fear? It may be that you're a Christian and you're, just, you're distracted. You're just right now, it's a means of God's grace to remind you, I'm hoping in the wrong things. And now God's using his word to convict you of that and to push you back to trust in him. Praise God for that. But it may be that you're here today and you've lack, you lack confidence, you're, you're anxious, you're restless, you're, you're, you're emotional, you're struggling, and it may be due to the fact that you've never truly hoped in Christ and that your hope has always been in the wrong place and you're not a Christian. And friend, if that is you today, the Lord would just remind us from his word that true hope and true peace is found in trusting in the Prince of Peace. 
the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived a life of perfection and died a death in our place to take our sins upon himself so that we could be cleansed and forgiven for all of eternity. He was raised from the dead three late days later to show that he's victorious over death, hell, and the grave once and for all, and he's coming again for us. If you'll look to him and you'll repent of your sins and place your faith in him, you will be saved and you will be give, given peace. Your troubles may not go away but you'll have confidence, you'll have peace, you'll have awareness that God is on his throne and he is leading you on to a hope and a future that you could never fathom. That's the restless heart, friend. The restless heart lacks wisdom. The restless heart lacks true security and true peace. And the restless heart is one who is often marked by anger and hostility because they realize they aren't God. But what about the confident heart? As Nebuchadnezzar lays down this indictment for all the wise men, or wise men of Babylon to be killed, back from chapter one, this now includes Daniel and his three companions. They are now, they've now been trained and educated in this, this system and they're seeking to work within the system. Not Remember last week, they're not trying to avoid the system. They're not trying to get out of Babylon or trying to get out of the situation. They're, they see that God has put them within the, this ungodly worldly system to be, to be there for the purposes of God. And now Daniel's one of these wise men who's on this roundup list for mass execution. Welcome to Babylon, Right? I mean, imagine that. How would you, if you were in Daniel's shoes or sandals, whatever they wore, how would you respond? You've just, you just been advancing, demonstrating that you're 10 times more capable than all the other Babylonian intellectuals. You just caught the gaze of, of King Nebuchadnezzar and, and now you're, being advan you're advancing your way up the ranks and you're going to have a huge impact and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you're on a, a list for mass execution and they're coming to get you. What would you do? And how would you respond to that, that news, that knock at the door? I'm asking because there's a lot of our brothers and sisters who face that every day. This is not far-fetched. We have brothers and sisters that just this week had that knock at the door and were killed because they worship the true and living God. How would you respond to that, friend? Well, Daniel does respond. Look at verse 14. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion. It doesn't say then Daniel freaked out. It doesn't say then Daniel packed his camels and hightailed it out of Babylon. It says he replied with prudence and discretion. Why is the decree of the king so urgent? He's given the reason and then he makes an appointment with the king. With Nebuchadnezzar, what's, what's going on here? What, what's, why the big deal? Why, why the urgency? Give me an appointment with Nebuchadnezzar. Let me go talk to him. 
I doubt that would have been our response, mine included. But maybe, maybe by God's grace. Notice that he, at least in this text, seems quite calm and confident. This calm confidence that, that marks Daniel in the, in the, in the midst of, of, of chaos. What a contrast to Nebuchadnezzar, right? Daniel was a man whose life was filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit, and it shows right here. See, Babylon, by the way, has a way of revealing our true allegiance. That's why where the more pressure the church receives, you often see the faithful, mature believers emerge. Notice though, he's, he's calm and calm. Several characteristics that, that are exemplified by Daniel, which I would say exemplifies those whose hope is not in the things of this world, but whose hope is in Christ. Number one, he's marked by wisdom. Remember the lack of wisdom that Nebuchadnezzar and his folks had. Daniel's marked by wisdom because the text tells us. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion. This word here for prudence is related to the Hebrew word meaning to taste. So in other words, Daniel had this good sense of spiritual taste, able to respond well in a variety of different contexts and circumstances. And we need to understand that this kind of wisdom is not automatic. Nor does it automatically increase with age, though it should. It's not automatic. Daniel was likely a teenager. This kind of wisdom, though it should come with age, ultimately comes from a person who's walking with God. From a person who knows the Lord and knows his ways and is, and is, and is banking everything that he has in life on that. I mean, even the demeanor of how Daniel responds with this prudence is telling of his confidence in God. There's no yelling or screaming or frantic running about. He's actively trusting God. He makes an appointment with King Nebuchadnezzar who just, just said he's to be executed. <laughs> Daniel's marked by wisdom. He is a man that seeks the wisdom of God. And friends, we need this same kind of wisdom as we seek to navigate the complex and difficult and hard and complicated culture of our own day. We live in a, in a culture that, that, in some ways, it's no different than it's ever been, right? Since the fall of the garden, any, the fall in the Garden of Eden. And, and sin has been here since then. Chaos has been present since then. Cultures manifest its inherent depravity in so many different ways, has always been that way. Sometimes I think we think it's really bad here. We just need to go back to Rome back in the day. But it's bad. The culture that we face today is complex and complicated. And friends, if you don't think you need godly wisdom to navigate this, the culture will snatch you right up and have you right where it wants you. We need a wisdom that's marked by faith in God and a wisdom that's informed that, by that which God has revealed. 
And that continues to be the case in Daniel's life, and we'll see. So he's marked by wisdom, but he's driven by prayer, number two. As reading this passage, I just kind of laughed when I was reading through this. Because here Daniel, he's responding with prudence and discretion. He says, make me an appointment with King Nebuchadnezzar. And then he goes back to his friends, we should pray. (laughs) I'm thinking, Daniel, you should have prayed first before you made that kind of appointment, right? Well, maybe he did. We're just not told that. But he's not saying, okay, I've made this. I've just done this, guys. We've really got to pray. I don't know what I've gotten myself into. That's not his posture here, I don't think. I don't think that at all. Let's read verse 17. Verse 16, and Daniel went and requested the king and pointed at him a time that he might show him the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that his, Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So he returns and he asks them to pray seeking the mercy of God. Now, the fact that he asked them to seek the mercy of God is kind of striking. It's interesting because it's not necessarily um, maybe the contents of a prayer that you would pray. Maybe it is. He says, we're to seek the mercy of God. This is a revealing moment in Daniel's heart because if you were to go back to the book of 1 Kings chapter 8, there in 1 Kings chapter 8, we have a prayer of dedication that Solomon gives. He's, he's praying. It's a very long chapter, a very long prayer there in, in, in 1 Kings chapter 8. But Solomon is praying as they're dedicating the opening of the temple. And there in the midst of Solomon's prayer, during that dedication, he prays and speaks of a time when God's people might find themselves, due to their own sin, might find themselves in exile. And as Solomon's praying, Lord, as they find themselves in exile, may they seek your mercy and compassion in that time and may you deliver them. That's kind of the shortened up version of that prayer. And it's Daniel now that's encouraging his companions to pray along these same lines. And friends, I can't help but think, and and I'm convinced of, that the reason he has them to pray for the mercies of God was because he knew the scriptures well. He knew Solomon's prayer. And he prayed according to the very same promises of God. Friends, this is how the godly pray. The godly don't pray in a panicked moment. The godly pray. They do pray in panicked moments. But they don't pray with a, a panicked nature. They pray with confidence in the promises and provision of God. They pray with an awareness that God has made promises and they stake their lives on those promises. In verse 19, God answers their prayer. He gives Daniel a vision. And he reveals in the contents of the dream and the interpretation of it. Now, Pastor Jeremy is going to cover that next week in the rest of chapter two, but this is how the godly pray. They pray with an awareness of the promises of God and they stake their lives on these promises. They're filled with wisdom, they're marked by prayer. Where do you think you get that wisdom, by the way? It's in the promises of God. It's in the truth of scripture, isn't it? where God has revealed himself most clearly. 
then they're filled, Daniel's filled with praise. Daniel's response of praise to God reveals the source of his confidence and joy. His immediate response was one of worship and thanksgiving. His, his immediate response wasn't to run to his friends or run to here and there. His, his immediate response was worship. And several things to note there in his response. He's, he's acknowledging that God is the source. In verse 21, 22, and 23, he's acknowledging that God is the source of wisdom and power, not Nebuchadnezzar, not the magicians, not the enchanters, not the Chaldeans. God is the source of wisdom. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. Second thing he's acknowledging, God is sovereign over kings and nations. Verse 21, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He knew that Nebuchadnezzar was ruling in Babylon only because God had decreed it so. And his reign would only last as long as God said so. And even though this king had Daniel's name on an execution list, he still knew that God was sovereign. He also acknowledged that God is the revealer of the future, not magicians or enchanters. Not 1-800-CALL-PSYCHIC. It's God who reveals these things. Friends, the amazing news to us is that the same God that Daniel sought and trusted is the same God we, we serve today. The reason we too can face life with confidence in the face of significant struggle in complex culture and, and, and facing a world of difficulty is because nothing can happen apart from God's sovereign wisdom and power. Daniel's calm confidence and his boldness was not due to his personal strength and his intellectual ability. Daniel's calm confidence was due to his doctrine of God. He was in a tough spot, but his confidence in God revealed that he knew that God must have a plan and purpose and he wasn't wavering. He had brought Daniel to Babylon and Daniel trusted that God's purposes would be fulfilled even if that meant death. And so Daniel lived with this assurance even in the face of death. Friend, Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar teach us a lot, don't they? They teach a lot about the source of our hope and the source of our wisdom. They're quite the contrast between the godly and the ungodly. One man whose life was marked by power, wealth, and fame was a man marked by anxious turmoil. And then you have Daniel, quite in a different situation, a captive in a foreign land, facing an unjust execution and yet sought wisdom from the true source of wisdom and lived with a calm assurance in the God who had brought him there. As living in our own Babylon of sorts, we have, we have a lot that we face and it has its way of revealing your true allegiance. You will either be shown to be a good Babylonian or you will either be shown to be a decided Christian. That's it. That will be the story of your life. You're like, well, I'm kind of, Holding, you're not holding out. You're either one or the other. 
You're either one or the other. And where you go and what you do when you are faced with trials and difficulty will often be the times which your true character and your true allegiance is on display. As Daniel placed his confidence in a sovereign God and rested his case with him, are you able to do that? Are you able to have that same peace and that same assurance and live with that same confidence? Friend, only God can give you true peace and true joy and true hope. Look to him and no other. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word and for this inspired scripture from a historical reality that took place so long ago, but yet we're able to gain wisdom in the present to live as your called people. Father, would you help us to see as we need to see and would you help us to obey as you've called us to obey? Lord, would you keep us faithful? Would you allow the truth to, to, to warm our hearts, to expose our errors? Father, maybe that we find ourselves today and, and we're, we're a follower of Christ. But Lord, it seems that, that more and more of, of Babylon is, is creeping in we find ourselves anxious, fretting and turmoil and restless. If there are people in this room right now, Lord, I just pray that if they're experiencing those moments of restlessness and anxiety and fear, God, would you just show them what they're hoping in, what they're trusting in, what they're seeking? Father, maybe there are people in this room that and it's likely the case with a room this size. There are people here that they are filled with the same things. And it's due to the fact that they've never trusted in, in you. God, would you show them right now that due to their sin, they stand outside of your, your presence. And Lord, that you just show them that their only hope is in, a, in the one that you sent to live the life they should have lived and to die the death they deserve to die. God, would you enable them right now, open their eyes and give them hearts to receive that truth and that they would respond in faith, even now. God, would you do your work in each of our hearts that we may serve you as the King and Lord of our lives and the Lord who is over all. We love you, Lord. Thank you, in Jesus' name.